Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin, Cuthbert, and Ailish Forfar on your baby Friday Maple Leafs. A big one tonight against the Boston Bruins, only if the Boston Bruins want it to be a big one. Yeah, it's kind That's of, my theory, at least. They can do whatever they Maybe want. Maybe the Leafs don't want it to be a big one. For us, they've, it would be nice if it was. They've approached the last few games like that. <laughs> but it's Ryan O'Reilly's season, so things might change. Let's talk to Pete Blackburn, NHL correspondent at Bali Sports this morning. Pete, bright and early for you. Are you awake? I am. I've been awake for about an hour because my uh, my smoke alarm decided that it needed its batteries changed. My dog decided that it was the oh, most no. scary thing in the world. So oh, no. it was dog- a tough morning. But dogs really here. dogs really do not. Have you had that yet? So I was going to say, I just got a puppy, and the second day that I had him, they were testing the fire alarms. It's like, welcome to life in a condo. And now we're going to yeah. rip the fire alarm for six hours on and off. It was, it's not fun. Was so, he all right with it? He's kind of just like running around in circles. Like, what is this? And it I, might actually be a good thing because he doesn't know with? better. But if you're like, you know, four years in your life and all of a sudden that's happening, probably pretty traumatic. Peach just crushed and darts this Can morning. Can confirm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, before we talk about the Boston Bruins and the Maple Leafs, uh, we got some feuds going on between our baseball teams here. Um, Alec Manoa and your buddy Alex Verdugo. What's going on there? Are you, uh, you a big fan of him? That was very funny because that was like not prompted whatsoever. So you could tell that Verdugo was kind of sitting with that take for a while. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of unleashed it. Uh, I don't know. It's whatever. Like it, baseball players are such babies. I can't, uh, I can't use any energy to talk about whether or not what they're feuding about is real or not. Okay, I'm glad you're not uh, fully endorsing Alex Verdugo because that was uh, that was kind of lame, at least in our opinion. But again, we are biased. Okay, so uh, Bruins season. Do you actually want it to come to an end? Like there are things in like like your favorite TV show makes you happy every night. You know it's going to be entertaining. You know it's going to be fun. You know it's going to be good. Maybe it'll get better as it goes, or maybe the spinoff will be even better. Maybe the spinoffs, the playoffs. But in terms of this Bruins regular season and like constant serotonin, do you actually want it to end given how exciting and fun and enjoyable it's been? I mean, it's bittersweet, right? Because like, this is, this is absolutely the best Bruins team I've ever seen. It's the best Bruins team in history. It's the vibes are at an all time high. Like they literally could not be higher with this team. But you know, for me, like as a person with like anxiety, I've always been waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then it's been like since day one, I was like, okay, they're playing great right now, but at some point the bottom's going to fall out, and it just hasn't, which has been amazing. But also, I've just been waiting the entire time, and now it's shifted to like, okay, this is amazing, but it, is it going to mean anything if they don't put together like a really deep run? And everybody's just waiting for them to fail in the playoffs so they can make fun of them and say that this was all for naught. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm ripping my hair out, just waiting to get to the playoffs and seeing whether they can shut everybody up or not. Do you think they'll do breakfast beers between rounds? <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, that was, that was incredible. That picture should be hung in a museum and marveled at for years to come. I can't imagine if that picture was uh, John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. Like, I think Toronto would burn down 
You can't be having breakfast beers. Like, we the have learned that. It would be just insufferable. It I would think. have been crazy. The takes would be so bad. Oh, my <laughs> God. I did not think about that, but that would have been horrible. That's a for luxury. Like a week straight. It's a luxury that you guys have because you can kind of do whatever you want right now. Um, what do you think about the last little while with the Maple Leafs, right? Because we're, we're watching these games. They feel meaningless. Like, we're rolling ourselves into the playoffs. We know we're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. You, you basically got home ice locked up if you can hold on here and not blow it the next couple couple uh, games at least, but has has that felt the same way for the Bruins or are they still putting up honest efforts? Are they still grinding? Are they still trying to like get their stuff together for the playoffs or are they just so comfortable that they can have an off night here and there? And is that, is that going to be tonight? Well, I mean, it's the Bruins like do have a little bit more to play for in terms of, you know, they're going for history and this is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, over a hundred years and, and, they can have a chance to be the best team in the, in the history of the league. So there's a lot to play for there. And it kind of has shifted for them over the past couple of weeks where, you know, before they were like, we're not going to talk about the record. We're not going to talk about, you know, uh, any of that stuff. We're just taking it a game at a time. That's shifted over the past couple of weeks. They're, they're starting to acknowledge that, like, it, it's something that they've talked about. It's something that they want. And so you, you do see kind of it's like the switch a little bit in terms of the competitiveness. But at the same time, they're resting guys and, and they should be. And because, you know, the Stanley cup matters more than, than whatever record that you can get during the 82 game season. But, you know, as far as the Leafs go, like this, this is what I dislike the most about the divisional playoff format. It's like, we've known for about like a month that they're, they're going to play the, the lightning. And it feels like neither one of those teams has particularly been super driven to, to play and like you look at the lightning a, a month and a half ago they weren't recording shots on goal in a period like it they were look like they weren't even trying at all so uh getting locked into a playoff spot that early is is kind of tough sometimes yeah and i think both those teams toronto and tampa uh being those teams uh, are taking different approaches here like tampa had a knock them down drag them out type of night with the new york rangers last night and I, yeah. I think we need to see that from the Leafs. Like, there's going to have to be some intensity at some point or you're going in cold against a team like Can- uh, Tampa, and I don't think that portends good things. So we're trying to figure out which of these games might feel like that. And then you go to Boston, I think the most frustrating thing as a Leaf fan is, like, Boston can dictate what the game is going to feel like. Like, Boston's job or Boston's role in a lot of ways is doing that. So do you think Boston will give the opportunity for Toronto to have that type of game or they'll be like, yeah, we don't really want to give you the opportunity to sort of have a playoff tune up tonight. No, I mean, I think that it's going to be a competitive game. And I, you know, I think that this is, there's a, there's a recognition that these two teams could meet in uh, about a month or so. And, and I think both guys on both sides are going to recognize that. And I think that they're, they're both going to have something to prove. So I think that this is going to be a big game. I think, I don't think the Bruins want to lose any of these last five games because they've got again they've got a chance to to make history and and they're kind of tied up against it in that and uh, if they could if they could get out of the way in the next three or four then you can 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 shut it down for for a game or two so um you know i I think it's going to be a competitive game tonight is there a spot of this bruins roster or their makeup that might give you a little bit of pause or or worry for the playoffs i know it's been a pretty prolific season and not only individuals um success but team success is there something that is maybe a worry spot when you look at a lengthy lengthy playoff run ahead uh i mean like 
even as somebody with like anxiety, no, like oh, that's, that's nice. the one thing the, the Bruins like have been checks across the board. Like, you know, if I had to pick something, I might say the power play. It's pretty inconsistent and it's been, you know, for sure up and up and down, but it's been tough uh, in the second half of the year. So, um, you know, they rank outside of the top 10 there, but you know, I don't know. It, it, other than that, it's, they've been, you know, full marks across the board. God, what a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there a preferred playoff opponent for your first round there, or you just everyone just sucks and you'll be fine? Oh, everybody sucks. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, I mean, I, I think that when you look at it, you, you, you say it's it's sort of a – I think the Islanders are, are not a playoff team, but – you're also giving yourself the biggest chance to get goalied uh, if you if you pick the Islanders, and so that that element is a little unnerving. But I think no matter who the Bruins draw in the first round, they're they're better than them. And if they lose, it's it's on them. Okay, so the opportunity maybe is there to get goalied because Elias Sorokin is so good with the New York Islanders. But yeah. you're the Bruins fan, and you probably have the Vesna Trophy winner in Linus Ulmark, uh there on your squad. But are you are you willing to entertain Sorokin for Vesna? Uh, at all, like I'm a little surprised that there's not a bit more buzz for him. The the betting odds reflect uh, Linus Allmark as a massive, massive favorite, and I guess he deserves to be a favorite for sure. But I felt like there was going to be a little bit of uh, a run on support for Sorokin, given what he's meant to the Islanders, given that he's probably the only reason the Islanders may face the Bruins in the first round. Are, are you willing to entertain Sorokin for Vesna, or is this Linus Allmark uh, case closed? No, I mean, I actually brought that up uh, about about a month, month and a half ago, and uh, where I said, you know, I didn't think that Olmark was a lock for for Vezina this year, and Bruins fans jumped down my throat. They hated me saying that, but I I am on the side of you where there's a conversation to be had based on what Sorokin's meant to the Islanders, based on how bad they've been in front of him. They're, they're, they bleed high danger chances, and he's been unbelievable this entire season. And it sort of reminded me of the, uh, I, want to, I think, 20, the 2020 season where Tuka Rask was um, runner-up to Connor Hellebuck. And Tuka Rask had better numbers in, um, you know, in a lot of different areas. But Connor Hellebuck played behind a very bad Winnipeg Jets defense, had a bigger workload, uh, and had pretty comparable numbers, at least in you know rock throwing distance. And he ended up winning the Vezina because of that. And I, you know, I think that if Sorokin closed the gap on Allmark a little bit in terms of save percentage and some of the other metrics, he would probably get the advantage based on playing behind a worse team. Sorokin, I think, is around like plus 1,400 to win the Vesna right now. And honestly, I think that would be a great bet if someone other than the general managers voted on it. I don't think the general managers are going to look as uh, closely as it as maybe the writers and broadcasters would. And I think if the writers and broadcasters did vote on it, uh, it might be closer to even odds between those two uh, at this point. Okay, so Ryan O'Reilly coming back uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. Do you have O'Reilly PTSD? Is there any like uh, negative feeling toward Ryan O'Reilly, mm-hmm. given that he was a major, major part of the 2019 Stanley Cup for the St. Louis Blues? Uh, and if so, or if not, like, how did Ryan O'Reilly tilt the balance in favor of St. Louis, or help tilt the balance of in favor of St. Louis in that Stanley Cup final versus the Bruins? I mean, in terms of PTSD, I have PTSD in, in the sense that like I know what it's 
like and how the impact that he can have on a series, but like there's no ill will or anything. And that's what makes every that's what makes me so mad when everybody says that I'm still bitter and that's why I hate Jordan Bennington. That's not why I hate Jordan Bennington. I dislike Jordan Bennington because he's a baby and also because he gives me flashbacks of, of costing my team a Stanley Cup. So uh, no, I, I no ill will to, to Ryan O'Reilly. I love Ryan O'Reilly as a player. And, you know, to answer the second part of your question, I, I mean, he's arguably like the most behind Patrice Bergeron, the best two-way player of the past, you know, decade and a half. And uh, the ability to, to match up and neutralize guys, uh, uh, top talent on the other side, um, that's sort of how he had his impact in, in that Bruin series. Once he started being able to shut down that top line or neutralize that top line, the Bruins just didn't have enough behind those guys. And that's been their, their biggest knock for the past several years is that they just don't, they were a one line team. And if you could neutralize that first line, you'd put yourself in a really good position to, uh, to win any series against that team. So uh, Ryan O'Reilly, I was very upset when he got traded to Toronto. <laughs> well, he missed 14 games here with a broken finger, but he's back tonight. So maybe an opportunity to, make you feel even worse about that uh, when he makes his return. We have also former Bruin Nolachari uh, joined us at the trade deadline. What's your Nolachari thoughts and feels and how he fits on this Toronto Maple Leafs roster? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Nolachari guy. Uh, I think that he's a, he's a really competitor. He's one of those guys that I, I think was a little bit more salt in the wound at the deadline where I didn't like the, I didn't like the Ryan O'Reilly acquisition. And I was like, okay, they get Nolachari too, who uh, is, I think can certainly be an under the radar guy. Like, you know, you see at the deadline, it's often not like the biggest names that have that sort of lasting impact, but it's, it's the bottom six guys that can really help you as well. And, And he's one of those guys that I have a lot of respect for. And I think that he's a good addition. Okay, let's go out west. We got Pete Blackburn, NHL correspondent uh, at Valley Sports with us. Uh, The west is starting to take shape a little bit. I mean, pretty much all season, we're looking at the east and the juggernauts and the six teams that look like they're going to run into each other and how unfair that is. But Western Conference starting to sort it out. Colorado making a bit of a move, but the hottest team league-wide, at least it seems, is the Edmonton Oilers, who won again last night. Ryan Nugent Hopkins hitting 100 points. When you look at the situation out West, is it still Colorado, or is a team like Edmonton surpassed them? Vegas, LA, Minnesota? How do you handicap the situation out West? I think it's um, it's Colorado and it's Edmonton, and then to me, it's everybody else. Um, And I think I'd still put Colorado ahead of Edmonton, just because they obviously they've dealt with a ton of injury issues and, and for a lot of the season, they kind of just had to keep their head above water. And I think they did a good job of that. Uh, when I, when I look at Colorado, it sort of reminds me of Tampa from the past couple of years where they, they at points, they really just like didn't look all that motivated or great during the regular season. And you, you never could count them out because it was just one of those teams that when they decide the games matter, they can flick the switch and they look like, uh, you know, as good as anybody else. And, and I think that that's going to be the case with Colorado. Um, you know, once the, once the games are, are in the playoffs, I, I think this team's going to be awesome. They're going to probably get Gabe Landeskog back. I, I still think they're the team to beat in the West. With McDavid's year, you don't think he's like the ultimate trump card, the way that he's just put up the performance that we, we haven't seen in, in honestly decades, the way he's just able to 
propel this team through anything? Uh, what's it like watching Connor McDavid? I'm sure it's allowed for you to tune into a lot more West Coast games as well because of what he's been able to do alongside Leon Dreisaitl. Isn't it really getting the flowers he deserves? Um, those two have been an incredible tandem all season long. Yeah, I mean, not getting the flowers he deserves, I would say Ryan Nugent Hopkins first. I mean, he points, 40 right? goals and 100 points. Yeah, like, and maybe one of the quietest 100-point seasons in recent memory just because McDavid is having an outrageous season and then he, the second guy behind him is Drysaddle. So uh, this, this Oilers team I have a little bit more faith in just because their top six has been nasty. And it's not just... McDavid and Drysaddle dragging lifeless bodies across the finish line every night. You know, it, they they got Ryan Nugent Hopkins, awesome. Zach Hyman's been awesome. Evander Kane as well. So, like their their top six is legit. I, I just have you know concerns more about what they have at the bottom of the lineup and on the back end, and especially in net. You know, Jack Campbell hasn't been the guy. Do you put your faith in Stuart Skinner as being a legitimate number one in the playoffs over the course of a deep run? Is he going to be better than Mike Smith? Like, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm still not totally sold on them being able to outrun their problems just on the back of McDavid, but they've been awesome so far uh, over in the second half. Yeah, all of a sudden they're not giving up goals, which is definitely worth taking note of because uh, if McDavid and Dreisaitl have it their way, uh, they're going to score goals. And that's the difference mainly in hockey games. Uh, Okay, I don't know if you've had your chance to reflect yet on the season and your predictions, but if you have something top of mind, something you nailed from a preseason prediction and something that you failed miserably on from a preseason prediction. Uh, Something that I nailed was uh, Jack Hughes' being like well i think his preseason point total was like 72 and a half and i assume that uh part of that was factoring in injuries and i was like if he doesn't get hurt and he plays 82 games he's gonna crush 72 and a half and i said that he'd probably be a 100 point player he may or may not get to 100 points but he's very close so kind of nailed that next step for jack hughes and and the devils um and then something that i missed horribly on I, I thought the Calgary Flames were going to be awesome and, well, and close to like the, the, <laughs> yeah, close to the class of the Pacific once again this year, and that has not gone not gone well. So uh, very disappointed in Calgary. Yeah, uh, last night they clawed their way to a crucial win, but it's uh, it's still. Really, uh, really tight for them to make even a playoff performance here ahead. And I think a lot of people were pretty shocked at the way the season has gone. Um, Connor Bedard, obviously all eyes at him this offseason when the draft lottery happens. Where does Connor Bedard need to play his hockey career? Um, anywhere other than Chicago, I guess. <laughs> I know the leagues probably want him in Chicago. They love that market. But, man, it would be so annoying if they lost Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and then mm. immediately got Connor Bedard. Um, I think in terms of, a, like, a best fit, Anaheim, him sliding in in Anaheim and kind of fitting in that timeline that they already have with uh, with the Zegers, with the Drysdale. Like, they've got a young team that's coming up. And we saw, like, last season. I know this season's been horrible, but last season it seemed like they were, they were heading in the right direction and they started to seem like a fun team. Um, so I, you know, him out in Anaheim in that market, reviving the battle of California, bringing back the Mighty duck logo. I, I think I could see that. 
I wouldn't want to be watching all those games though. So time zone, not I don't agree, but it would be Fair. cool to see him with those with that young team there. A um, couple more for you, big big college hockey guy I know. Um, today the Frozen Four kicks off the semis there: BU, Minnesota, Michigan, and QPAC. Um, I know you you love your college hockey. How are you feeling about this this Final Four and our guy Matthew Nice? Yeah, I mean, I love the I love the Frozen Four. I won't pretend that I'm like a huge college hockey like knower. I think in the playoffs is when I start finding out about a lot of guys, and um, it's uh, you know it starts with uh, the Hockey East. Like I'm a big Hockey East guy, and I do the the tournament every year, and I start to find out kind of who who I'm going to root for and things like that. Uh, BU, my buddy is the, uh, the the strength coach on BU, so I'm pulling for them, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to be. I think Michigan's got the the upper hand, but I'm going to be pulling for BU. Okay, well, can't can't say we agree with that one. Um, <laughs> we do want to see our buddy Matthew Nyes at least uh, before he makes his way to the Toronto Maple Leafs get uh, hoist something because you know it might be a while. Oh, can't believe I said that. Uh, all right, Pete, appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, it'll be a fun one tonight, Leafs and Bruins, and we'll chat with you sometime down the uh, playoffs. And maybe Leafs and Bruins get an opportunity to redeem themselves here. Would love it. Thanks, Pete. That's Pete Blackburn, NHL correspondent at Bally Sports and Maple Leafs on the road against the Boston Bruins at TD Garden tonight. The return of Ryan O'Reilly and maybe a Noel Chari revenge game. Maybe a Noel Chari revenge game. Maybe another, I wouldn't say revenge spot, but maybe another opportunity to star and to be a mm-hmm. bit of a thorn in the side of uh, Bruins fans for Ryan O'Reilly. I-, I hope this is a big game. I hope, you know, Pete has a little bit more confidence than I, I do. Uh, maybe I'm just jaded by what we've seen from the Maple Leafs of late. Maybe I'm a little disappointed that Tampa got their sort of fix in terms of intensity last night. Uh, but I'd love to see these two teams really, really go at it because I think it's meaningful for the Leafs, maybe more so than the Bruins, but maybe meaningful for both as well. Um, all right, let's do something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. This is a fun one. Uh, thanks to Daniela, who threw this across the desk here. But I didn't see this last night um, or on the weekend. Um Wayne Gretzky, uh, NHL and TNT broadcast on Sunday, said that the NHL should create an annual award presented to the defenseman who registers the most points. should be called the Bobby Orr Trophy. Now, what do you think of that, Justin? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I guess it would be something else to bet on, which I like to do in the NHL awards market. That's very, very fun. Uh, I guess it would be more like the Rocket Richard, where you there's no mm-hmm. like subjectivity to it, where it would just be raw data. But... I don't know. I, I feel like it would be lesser then, and I think it would be, be immediately preclude an Eric Carlson season. Like you would immediately say, okay, Carlson gets the Bobby mm-hmm. Orr, so, you think so that forget way you can't him get both. for the Norris. Yeah. I, I do think you get into that situation a little bit more, and I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm, I'm okay with you measuring Eric Carlson's season and determining whether it is or is not Norris, Norris caliber because there is a debate there. Uh, I'd be okay with it. I do think it would be so much lesser than, and I think it maybe would take away from someone who deserves to actually be a Norris winner. But naming I can be is a lead, though. He's got naming he's is got lead. that. He's got the the perfect player to name it after. But I, I see where you're coming from with like, okay, so now if this award's already been given away, does this person get recognition for the next one? I don't know. Could be something. I mean, if Wayne Gretzky wants something, I think people are listening. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky gets what he wants. I think more often than not. <laughs> 
All right, we got a full day ahead, uh, Masters coverage. We're going to talk to Adam Stanley, our golf writer and analyst at Sportsnet. After the break, we have some time to send in your picks at 595.90. You want to do Masters features, you want to do daily head-to-heads, you want to pick anything from Leafs, Bruins, um, Jays and Kansas City Royals at 2 that's a early first pitch, so make sure you get a chance to put that on your TVs while you're at work or just head home, couch surf all day with the Masters. Uh, we got Dan Shulman joining us at 8 o'clock as well, and then we'll do the Wake and Rake. We're also giving away tickets, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Blue Jays tickets, that will be later in the show. All of that to come, and after the break, we'll start a big Masters look from a guy who's right down there at Augusta, Adam Stanley, on the other side of the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are a half hour away from the best tournament in golf officially being underway. Ten minutes away from good old Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Tom Watson getting us going with the honorary starting group. Very, very exciting times and very, very excited to have on our next guest, Adam Stanley, golf writer and analyst for Sportsnet. And this master's report is brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley. Our buddy Adam joins the show from Augusta, the grounds at Augusta. Unfortunately, the first question, though, Adam, has to be, how's the weather? Good morning. Yeah. So the weather the last couple of days has been uh, tremendous. 12 out of 10. Uh, the weather the next few days does not look all that great. I think even on Saturday, it's supposed to go down about 20 degrees to uh, a high of nine with a bunch of rain. So uh, certainly something to, to watch out for over the next few days. I think today will we'll be all right. Uh, but starting tomorrow, it, it's not supposed to be all that great. So uh, that, that really you know impacts how the guys uh, are going to approach the golf course, how they're going to approach their preparation, if there's going to be some starts and some stops. Um, it could make for a rough, uh, a rough weekend for sure. So it's possible then that merely a vest won't suffice for one <laughs> Scotty Scheffler? <laughs> no, uh, the, the vest may not uh, be enough for, for some of the fellas for sure. Okay, so speaking of merch, I got to ask you. We'll start. Well, I mean, we'll run through yeah, everything we, here. These are the important questions. But, yes, but when, yes. you're, when you're down there, so you, you get, you're lucky. You get to go down there, but a lot of people don't get the chance to get down there. And Augusta is the only place that's, that sells Masters gear, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So how many merch orders, how many pieces of merchandise are you having to bring back <laughs> over the border? What's the, like, what's the toll when you get to the merchandise rack for Adam Stanley? <laughs> Well, I, I've been to the Masters twice before in 2016 and 2017, so I've kind of gotten some of the, the that stuff out of the way for myself. But my wife and I just had our first kid. We had a daughter in uh, in September, so Congrats. I obviously have bought her some uh, some youngster stuff. So that's a whole new category of shopping that I've had to do. Uh, some of your delightful colleagues have asked me for some hats, yes. so I, I'm having to go back to the merch tent to get some stuff for them. Uh, and then this year, I bought one or two small things for myself too. So um, yeah, I think we were we were a couple hundred dollars in uh, easy, but I certainly was not uh, the person spending the most out of anyone this uh, this week <laughs> and, and it's pre- like it's pretty magical and it's equal parts magical and ridiculous when the people go in there uh and just you know go absolutely nuts it's wild 
Yeah, we uh, we heard about this because we had the golf guys on yesterday, Brent and Sam, oh, yeah. and they did mention that that was part of your um, your trip down there. So we thought we'd the, just check in and see. The very, very needy golf guys. Yeah, so needy. Yeah. We may, we'll make sure that uh, Canadian Customs isn't listening uh, to all the stuff no, you bring over the border. No, 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 no. You're there long <laughs> enough. I guess there's a, a limit. Uh, I know you're you're. It's 7:33 right now, and uh, Gary Player he's about to tee off at 7:40. I mean, it's the the biggest part of the whole tournament. Um, are you within a eye shot, or can you see it? Like, cause that's that's a it's a big moment for the Masters for sure. Yeah, no, I, you know, the Masters is built on the on the back of tradition. They have all these things that, you know, golf tournaments just don't have, and, and that's kind of what makes this event special. Um, yeah, the media center is actually at the very back of the driving range, so I'm pretty far away from, from, where, that's, uh, from where that's unfolding. My very first Masters in 2016, I made, you know, I made a real point to go out there and, and kind of be in and amongst all the crowd on, on that first tee. It's, it's such a special moment. It's such a unique thing. Um, and we just don't know how many of those, <clears throat> excuse me, particular moments we have left with these guys. I mean, Arnold Palmer did it for decades and decades. And then of course he passed away a few years, a few years ago. And then they've had Gary and Jack do it for a long time. And then Tom Watson has stepped in and, and done it um, recently since uh, Arnold Palmer passed away. So uh, the short answer to that question is no, I, I can't really see it, but it's, it's, it's on the big TVs in the media center. And um, yeah, I mean, as, as time goes on, I'm sure I'll get back out there and, and watch again. And, and Mike Weir's in the first tee time mm-hmm. of the day. So I'm sure Mike will be out there uh, as well, checking, uh, checking that out. All right. You'll have lots of golf to consume. Maybe not yes. that first uh, tee off, but uh, let's talk Scotty Scheffler because he's uh, a big storyline, obviously coming into this, um, the favorite uh, looking to maybe do a back to back here, which is hard to repeat at Augusta. Now with the weather and all that considered, um, how confident are you in a Scotty Scheffler this weekend to continue what's been a pretty great start to his uh, his year this year? Yeah, it, that's a really, really good question. And I think that that is kind of the thing that a lot of people are, are wondering about because there are so many challengers at this particular tournament, but everyone kind of keeps coming back to Scotty Scheffler because it's almost like I don't think this dude can lose at this golf course and the way that he's playing. Um, obviously, he repeated at the uh, at the Waste Management earlier this year and of course he won the players championship just last month and the players championship is the biggest tournament that they have on the pga tour schedule prior to the masters it's a it's a somewhat comparable golf course uh insofar as it's a second shot golf course it's got a ton of you know all the best players on the pga tour are, are teeing it up there uh and scotty is just so unflappable scotty is just one of these guys that uh it wise beyond his years uh, he knows how to play this golf course he obviously knows how to win on this golf course um, and he's not afraid to uh, to defend the title either. So um, I, I think if Scotty Scheffler does not win this week, he's going to be certainly firmly in the mix by the time we get to the weekend. Um, but I would not be surprised to see him repeat, uh, despite the fact that, like you had mentioned, uh, it's pretty darn hard to do just that. I, I don't think anyone's done it since Tiger Woods, you know, almost 25 years ago. In what ways was his win last year uh, instructive to the golf world? Like you're not supposed to win early on. Like you're supposed to take your lumps there. You're not supposed to hold a lead. You're supposed to crumble under the pressure. In what ways did he like buck trends and change the way that you think about the Masters and who can win the Masters? Yeah, I mean, you think about how good Scotty Scheffler was playing leading into that tournament. I mean, he had already won three times. Uh, at the early part of that PGA Tour season. So it did seem like it was a bit of, not. it's certainly not a foregone conclusion, um, but it was one of those things where it's like, wow, we, we kind of expect this guy 
to contend, um, but it was unexpected to see him play as well as he did as early on in his master's career. Now, I think in terms of, of, of what we saw and why he ended up winning, uh, he just joined up with Ted Scott, his caddy at the beginning of 2022. And Ted Scott had won the masters a bunch with Bubba Watson. So, you know, there was a guy that he could finally lean on uh, that had all the experience in the world at that particular golf course. And that's how you win the masters. That's how you defeat Augusta national. If only for a week, you have to know how to play the course. And that's why, you know, 62 year old Bernard Longer still plays well there. That's why Freddie couples still plays well there. That's why Mike Weir has had a pretty decent career there over the last, you know, half decade when he's gotten older It's because those guys know where to hit it and certainly where to miss as well. And, and Scotty was just able to lean on a caddy who had had all of that winning experience at Augusta national. And, and, you know, when, when he's the number one player in the world and he can hit basically any shot on demand, if he knows where to hit it, then, uh, then he's got a, a big time leg up on, on pretty much everyone else. We got Adam Stanley on the line, golf writer and analyst at Sportsnet and down at Augusta. Now, if it isn't Scotty Scheffler storyline, it's Rory. Is it Rory's year finally to be a Masters champion? And how great would it be to see him on Sunday, maybe uh, against a live player in the final? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I hope it's Rory's time. Like, and Rory obviously will be the first to admit that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, he's get, he wants to take this one across the finish line. I think Rory has gone through a bunch of kind of mental approaches to this tournament. He he's kind of totally tried to treat it like any other event and didn't really take the prep all that serious. Then some years he's been you know up and visiting Augusta a bunch. Uh, other years he's made equipment changes. Some years he's, uh, you know, tried to play practice rounds with different people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, now I think he just has accepted that everyone's wanting him to do this. And he's in, in the mode of like, yeah, we know I'm trying to win the grand slam. Yeah, we know I've had some heartbreak here. Uh, and he's just kind of go out and, and see what happens. And I think that that's actually going to be a benefit for him. Uh, he's playing good golf right now. He seems to be kind of sorted and settled with the equipment. Um, you know, obviously he's been a dad for a number of years and, and he, you know, had that sort of light experience at the part three contest on Wednesday. Um, he's been carrying the weight of the PGA tour on his shoulders for the last year and a half. And I think, you know, this was the first kind of week where, you know, the, the PGA tour and the live guys were co-mingling and everything seemed to be okay. So Rory didn't have to, you know, bang the PGA tour drum any more aggressively than he would have had, um, and the weather is supposed to cooperate for Rory McIlroy. You know, a, a wet golf course at Augusta National would certainly suit his game. So, yeah, all the signs are pointing to Rory just finally doing it. And I think he would be happy, but I think the golf world would be uh, even happier if Rory managed to take this one across the finish line. Yeah, the one change from, from Rory really is that stance on the live golfers. Uh, why do you think he softened it in his uh, opportunity with the media? Yeah, you know, I think it's because everybody, Rory included, kind of realized that this week is, is bigger than what tour you play on. You know, Augusta National and the Masters Tournament is, is the epitome of, of our sport. You know, for better or for worse, um, you know, given the course's history and, and et cetera, you know, this tournament is watched by more people than anyone at any time throughout the year uh, around the world. It, it's it's golf Super Bowl, but it's also golf's World Series. Um, you know, it's also a Stanley Cup and you can go on and on and on. So the realization that, you know, this event is, is bigger than, than, than petty squabbles is, is kind of one of the big things for that. And, you know, at the end of the day, these guys are humans. They, they see each other in, in Florida. If they're friends with guys, they're going to be friends with them. If they're not friends with these guys, 
they're not friends with them. They're not going to go out of their way to have a, have a nice conversation. That said, by the time we get to Saturday and Sunday, and uh, the pairings are, of course, uh, just distributed by scores, could Rory be paired with Patrick Reed? Absolutely he could. Could he be paired with Kevin Na? Absolutely he could. And, and obviously those guys don't really get along all that well, if at all. And of course, if you saw the Netflix documentary, you knew that Rory used some salty language towards Phil Mickelson. So could that pairing happen on Saturday or Sunday as well? Uh, yes, absolutely. So he softened his stance because he realized this week is bigger than any one individual. Um, and he also kind of realized, hey, if I'm friends with Brooks, I'm going to play a practice round with him. But you know, Patrick Reed, don't expect me to shake your hand this week. So salty language for Phil, uh, no language for him at the champions dinner, yeah. apparently. Uh, what's the vibe around Phil at Augusta? Awkward, I guess, <laughs> would be probably my, my best way of describing things. Because, like, he's still got, you know, plenty of, plenty of fans and, and supporters. Like, no doubt about it. Uh, we're only, like, three years removed from Phil arguably winning one of the best or putting in one of the best major championship performances we've ever seen, you know, winning the PGA at, at 51. And, like, that's pretty darn amazing. So, you know, a lot of people know that he's made a lot of mistakes, mostly with his mouth, um, but he's still out there as a, as a multi-time Masters winner and, and a major champ and arguably one of the top 10 golfers in, in the history of the sport. So um, he's trying to just eliminate the noise, but um, he, he has such a laundry list of, of uh, prior offenses that it's like we can't, we can't ignore them. Now, he did do a brief kind of quick quotes media availability. He declined an invitation to, to do a press conference. Uh, and you're right. I was in an event last night hosted by um, yeah, another golf course. And uh, they had Ben Crenshaw, uh, previous masters winner there to, to do a little bit of a talk. And yeah, he said, Phil was just kind of sitting and was quiet, which is a very, very different kind of thing for Phil Mickelson. Uh, if we look at the 18 live players that are competing at the Masters this weekend, how much of the factor of this tournament golf that they're playing and the idea that they might not be prepared or might not be as battle-tested coming into the Masters, how do you try to you know handicap that when you look at the, the field and how they might fare? Yeah, it's um, that's kind of the $100 million question this week for, for most of those fellows because you know Cam Smith was in the interview room on Monday and he said, Guys, like last year before the Masters, I played five tournaments. This year, I played four tournaments. So it's not mm-hmm. like there's that much of a difference in terms of their uh, their pre-tournament efforts. But um, you know, the golf courses that they play on live are, are not PGA Tour caliber. The the field strength um, just isn't the same as compared to the PGA Tour. And and that's not just me, you know, analyzing it. Yeah, that that you could probably see that yourself. But Cam Smith, you know, world number six. He said that he fully came out and was like, you know, the, we've got, we've got good guys, but the, the strength of field is not quite there. So um, I, I think it's less about who, who the guys are playing against and, and more, you know, if they're going to measure up their games alongside, you know, the guys like Scotty, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, you know, Colin Morikawa, Xander Schauffele, you know, all these guys that played these elevated events at, at, at world-class golf courses over the last four months. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they fare um, when they're on, you know, the best golf course in the world against the best field in the world. Um, and, and they just haven't seen these guys. Now, Dustin Johnson obviously has won this tournament. Brooks Kepka, multi-time major champion and Cam Smith, um, a major winner as well. So out of all of the 18 guys, I, I would say those would be the three that I'm probably not as worried about in terms of their performance. Um, but all the other guys, you know, it, it's kind of a toss up. 
Are you surprised that tournament officials didn't go the inflammatory route with its uh, groupings for Thursday and Friday? Uh, it seems like they're trying to uh, minimize clashing, if yeah. at all possible. Like, I, I thought, you know, hey, this is sport. This is entertainment. Uh, it's not the WWE, but it's the closest golf's been to it. Uh, are you surprised at all that we didn't see any, uh, you know, Rory versus Reed or Brooks for, versus uh, Spieth or something along that line? Uh, it seems like they're trying to minimize the overlap as much as possible. Yeah, the Masters does not want distractions. Nothing in their eyes is bigger than the golf tournament. And they knew that if they did that, then everyone would be talking about sort of that. And, and the Masters folks, they're the ones that make the tee times. There's nothing really random about this. So, you know, that would be a poor reflection on, on the masters and Augusta national and its membership. And they would not allow that in the, uh, in the slightest. So yeah, not that surprised that they, they minimize distractions, you know, Greg Norman, uh, obviously the CEO of live, he was not invited this week, uh, despite the fact that all living uh, major champions are usually invited to attend the masters. Uh, Greg Norman was not read between the lines from the chairman. He would have been a huge distraction would have taken away from, uh, from the tournament. Um, something funny on, on that point is that each of the Canadians are actually grouped with a live golfer. And that prompted someone on Twitter uh, to post a uh, United Nations peacekeeping photo <laughs> with the Canadian flag on it as the, as the Canadians will, will have all had responsibility this week to, uh, to try to keep the peace amongst, amongst the live guys and the PGA tour guys, which I, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. I mean, Canadians are polite. We're welcoming. It's uh, it's not uh, too far fetched that that was part of the idea of this. Um, Good for golf is, is a bit subjective, but what would it be like if a live golfer won the Masters? Would it be, I mean, I'm sure it would be spicy, and for us as uh, people have to talk about it, we'd probably enjoy it, but would it be good oh, for the game yes. of golf if uh, a live participant did win, and would they do that celebration on the 18th hole that we heard about? Yeah, <laughs> so that was so that was one of Greg Norman's idea. Apparently Cam Smith said, uh, yeah, no one had run that by him Aww. yet so i'm not i'm not too sure if i'm not too sure how much truth there is behind it but um you know would that provide you know the golfing public uh, media fans etc you know enough uh, buzzy fodder to to last all the way for 12 months until next year's masters yeah absolutely um you know the, the live guys i think have some, something to prove this week for sure um you know they made the jump and it's 54 holes it's hit and giggle it's really not all that serious in terms of competition with no cuts so, you know, for them to, for one of them to show up at the first major championship of the year and compete against these guys who are on the PGA tour week in week out and for one of them to win. Yeah, it would be, it would be pretty good for them. Would it be good for the game of golf? I, I, I don't think so. Um, but for the live tour and, and for the guys who decided to make that, that choice and that leap, um, yeah, it would be, it would be good for them. And, and certainly it would uh, just add kind of another log to the fire for sure. Say what you want about live, but I think it's a it's uh, it doesn't hurt that we've gone over 15 minutes here and we haven't talked about Tiger Woods because there are a lot of storylines for this Masters <laughs> tournament, and usually yeah. Tiger is the be all end all. Um, he will be in the field. Uh, this is his course that he knows better than anyone else. Uh, the conditions apparently do not fit his game uh, due to his injuries. I'm I'm not really sure how that correlates, but a lot of the scuttlebutt is that it's going to be more difficult for Woods because it's not going to be hot and humid. Uh, what do you make of his chances, not necessarily to win, but to have some success within his own context? 
And are you a little surprised that he was non-committal to, you know, playing this for multiple years down the road? I mean, the, one of the beauties of the Masters, if you win, you can come every year as long as you're competitive. Yeah. And no one thinks Tiger Woods is going to be non-competitive. So, uh, you know, the, the short term and long term here for Tiger Woods. Yeah, it's a great point because I was in that press conference on Tuesday and everyone was kind of, you know, the, you're, you're not allowed your phone in the in the press conferences, but everyone was kind of scribbling away. And then all of a sudden, Tiger said, like, I don't know how many more of these I have in me, or I'm paraphrasing there. But, and you could kind of tell everyone looked up and were like, wait a second. I think that's the first time he said that. So, yeah, it was it was one of those things where all of a sudden the, the guard got brought down a little bit and we realized that, yeah, this guy is every ounce of 47 years old. Um, you know, his leg is, is held together by a lot. Uh, that's a direct quote, a lot of hardware. Um, and he just he just can't walk like he, it is what it is. He's fully admitted it. Um, that is what the problem is. Uh, his caddy told, I think it was the New York Post, that if Tiger could ride a cart this week, he would be, you know, an auto top five. He's got all the shots. He, he knows how to do uh, this. He knows how to do um, the, he knows how to have success at Augusta national. Um, every single ounce of this property, he's basically got memorized. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's 2019 uh, coming back from all those injuries to win or 1997, he's a fresh faced kid and he wins by 12. You know, this golf course in Tiger Woods will always have, you know, a, a pretty hearty relationship. Um, but it's his body. The relationship now that Tiger's brain and Tiger's body has is just not, you know, it's not the same. And, um, you know, will he, will he continue to do this? I would say, yeah, cause he's super stubborn, but you know, at the end of the day, the, the physical nature of walking Augusta national, which is very, very difficult. He may just, he may not have a choice and, and that choice may be, uh, maybe made for him, which is unfortunate. Um, and it may be coming sooner rather than later. I know Tiger doesn't want Tiger to have the cart, but let's get Tiger a cart. Come on, let's yeah, see that top on. five. <laughs> I, it's, it's, let's not be stubborn uh, in that sense. Okay, let's get to the Canadians. Uh, Corey Connors, Adam Svensson, Mac Hughes, and of course, former champion Mike Weir. Uh, Corey Connors likely is, uh, you know, has the best chance. He's coming off a win at the Valero Texas Open. This course is suited for him. But I wonder if you like Adam Svensson or Mac Hughes' chances this week. Is this course catered to those games or their games rather at all? Or is this uh, kind of tailor-made most uh, for one Corey Connors? Yeah, you know, it's firstly, it, it's awesome to see this many Canadians in the Masters. Uh, four is, is tied for the most ever. So, you know, again, even the casual sports fan here, you know, all of a sudden they're going to have people to care about. They're going to have, you know, Canadians to watch and Canadians to root for. And it's not just this week. It's basically every week on the PGA Tour. We've got this golden era of men on the tour uh, competing week in and week out. So first and foremost, that's amazing. Um, you know, Adam Svensson, I think the funny thing about Adam Svensson is that he's very, you know, he kind of approaches golf very much like Dustin Johnson. He doesn't really care all that much about anything. So I think that because he's not all that distracted by the bigness of this moment and of this golf course and of it being his very first major championship. Um, I would not be surprised to see him at least make the cut. So I would say Adam Svensson makes the cut. Mackenzie Hughes, this is his fourth master's appearance. Quick note, Mike, we are one, his master's in his fourth master's appearance. Um, but Mac has become incredibly comfortable around this place since last year's Masters, he has won, uh, or excuse me, yes, he's won on the PGA Tour, but he's also added a bunch of distance, uh, and he's also uh, made the cut at the Masters the last few times that he's been around. So, um, you know, he's got a lot of confidence, and, and he's a lot more comfortable around here. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Matt Hughes finish in the top 25. Corey Connors, meanwhile, 
I think this dude has a real shot to win this week. He's coming in off a victory, like you mentioned, three straight top ten finishes, um, uh, only one of two golfers to do that over the last couple of years. And his coach told me, Corey's game plan this week, he is preparing to win. You know, he knows he can contend. He knows he can play well here. He knows he has a good plan. He knows he's got the shots. He knows he's comfortable. Now it's time to execute. Now it's time to take it across the finish line. So I think that's what's going to happen with the uh, Canadian fellows this week. So does Corey Connors take up your day then? Uh, clearly the Canadian with the best odds to win is Connors. Uh, you're there to write some Canadian stories. I wonder, yeah. are you going to be you know, <laughs> following him around? Like, What does your day look like uh, around Augusta National? It's a, it's a great question because obviously we can't you know, take our phones out in the golf course, so we're trying to go back and forth in the media center to kind of take stock of everything else that's going on. Um, Corey doesn't tee off until the afternoon, so I will probably follow Adam Svensson for a little bit in the morning because I, I want to kind of get uh, the vibe of, of how his first maybe nine holes at a major championship goes. So I'm going to follow Adam Svensson for a bit, uh, kind of see what, what Tiger Woods is doing by the time we get to midday. Uh, and then, yeah, in the afternoon, Corey's basically playing in one of the most notable groups of the day. I think he's you know fourth last or something like that, paired with Dustin Johnson and Justin Rose major championship uh, winners both. So, yeah, we'll probably get a midday sort of thing on, on Adam Svensson, see how he did in his first round. And then, yeah, Corey, I'll essentially be following him for the, uh, for the balance of the day after that. Okay, Adam, putting you on the spot. Last question here, the big one. Who's going to put the green jacket on Sunday? I think it's going to be Jordan Spieth this year. And I say that for a number of reasons. Wow. Uh, but the, the most important one is, uh, you know, the, the cosmic stars aligning. Mm. The last two Easter Sundays, Jordan Spieth has won on the PGA Tour. This year's Masters concludes on Easter Sunday. So I think he takes it. If we're lucky, something there. the weather might, yes. it might be Easter Monday. So what if, if the it's Easter it Monday? Be, well, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to see. It still counts as Easter. We'll That's see. right. That's right. Well, enjoy the weekend, Adam. I know you've been busy giving us lots of content, so we appreciate it. We'll look forward to seeing more and enjoy and hopefully stay dry there. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. Adam Stanley, golf writer and analyst at Sportsnet. And our master's report was brought to you by TPC Toronto on at Osprey Valley, and that was awesome. I cannot wait. He is aligned with some of my picks, so I feel very justified going into our selection period. Really? Yes. Are you taking Spieth first overall? You'll have to wait till 830, bud. Oh, I guess we all have Spieth circled. Uh-oh. I'll say don't wait on that. Yikes. We got to get it to Osprey Valley this summer, of course. Hey, does that mean that we get to go to Osprey Valley? Because I, I don't know. we read well, there read twice. Pay, we can pay our way, but, uh, you know, they want to... They want to have us, I'd, I'd be there slashing it around. <laughs> Please <laughs> help us, Osprey Valley. Um, all right, we'll have a big Masters preview in the Wake and Rake. Um, that'll be at 8.30. We'll do our fan X picks, five of those. We'll do a three-pack of Live Rebels. The Pirates. The Pirates. And then we'll do uh, a couple prop bets that Justin and I put together. We have Bruins and Leafs. We have the day game of the Jays and the Royals. You've got Women's World's picks, and I'm going to try to redeem myself after a tough showing. And then, of course, the Frozen Four uh, semifinals as well. There's lots going on tonight um, and today. Masters kicking it all off. By the time we start the Wake and Rake, it will be underway officially. So get your picks in maybe now, your official picks, and we can talk about them at 8.30. We're going to talk to Dan Shulman on the other side of the break. We're going to give away Blue Jays tickets as well. Manoa with a little bit of a bounce-back performance, um, at least some momentum going into the second time through the rotation. Let's see where Dan's at with all that. That's next on the Fan Morning Show.